Now imagine uh, you are uh, walking uh, around your neighborhood and one of your neighbors uh, approaches you and you say, hello, how are you? And your neighbor then tells you, you know, I have this terrible headache and one side of my body is numb. I think I need to take some Tylenol and go sleep. And then imagine you answer and you say in turn, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Tylenol is good for headaches. And obviously you overexerted yourself if one side of your body has become numb. Go, get some rest. What happened? Well, I think you all know what happened. Both you and your neighbor answer the felt need of your neighbor. Your neighbor tells you, you know, I have a headache, my body feels weak on one side. And both you and your neighbor answer the felt need, probably with good intentions and to the best of your abilities. But you know exactly this too, don't you? You, if that's what your neighbor says to you, and that's if that is what you say in turn uh, back to your neighbor, you are both wrong. Because I think we all recognize that when somebody tells you, you know, I have a terrible headache and one side of my body has become numb, you know, those are the signs of a stroke, isn't it? And when somebody tells you that they're, that's what they're experiencing, you don't tell them, you know, take some Tylenol for your headache and go get some sleep. You tell them, you need to go to the hospital right now. Because you see, when the problem is not understood correctly, what we end up doing is we deal only with the felt need, the surface need, and that results in a severe damage and perhaps even death. And what's so interesting is that it seems to me that's how we often deal and that's how we often behave when it comes to our spiritual life. We often notice the surface issues and we often deal with our felt needs without understanding our real problem. And indeed, in these two chapters, Isaiah helps us to see beneath and beyond the felt needs that Israel observed and knew so well, to see the, their problem in their true nature, to see the true and the only appropriate solution to their problem. And the first thing that Isaiah tells them is that they need a deliverance by spirit-empowered king. The deliverance by spirit-empowered king. Now, if you remember, Isaiah chapter 10 ended with God, and he promised to restore Israel. He promised to bring back the remnant and cause them to multiply. Now, imagine what those words, what that promise may have meant to the original hearers of Isaiah. Because for them, very naturally and understandably, when they heard such a promise, 
uh, for them that future blessing would have meant surviving the Assyrian invasion. And for them, because they have just witnessed the total collapse of their leaders and their government, the future blessing would have meant for them the political stability brought on by a different and a better government. And because they were living or looking at the prospect of a total economic meltdown leading to starvation because they were about to see foreigners invade where it made it would destroy their crop and harvest and take everything away they were looking at a total economical collapse and the starvation that would bring so when they heard the promise of god's future grace naturally and understandably, they would have thought, God is going to make us, keep us, and let us survive the foreign invasion. God is going to give us a better government, and God is going to cause us to prosper. Now, of course, these felt needs are very important needs. And yet to think that such things are Israel's salvation. And to think that such things are what God promised them is like thinking that a stroke can be treated with Tylenol and sleep. Because what God promised them was something greater and what Israel needed was something better than mere survival of the foreign invasions than a better government or better economy because what they needed was the salvation that only the spirit-empowered son of David could give them. And so Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Now here, Isaiah is comparing the dynastic line of King David, King David and his successive uh, successors who came to his throne. But at this point, the dynastic line of David is a tree cut down. You see, multiple generations of faithless kings have brought David's kingdom to a dead end. And so it is a tree cut down. And because of that, God's glorious name is dishonored on earth. And you see, when God's people live in sin, light no longer shines in darkness. In other words, Israel's salvation needs to be more than mere survival of invasion or better government or an economic prosperity. They need a salvation that would restore the glory of God's name. They need a salvation that would let the light shine in darkness. But at this point, the kingdom of David, the line of David is a stump a dead tree. But at the same time, we see this. Isaiah tells us that God's stubborn grace will sprout from the dead stump, will grow, will blossom, and where sin has left everything dead, 
God had kept in that hopeless situation a future and hope for them. And so there is an unexpected and hidden vitality in the stump of Jesse. God is going to make that dead stump come alive and bear fruit. How? Not by answering Israel's felt needs. Not by answering Israel's uh, needs that they felt so urgently for the moment, but by sending the Spirit-empowered Son of David in the last days. That's the salvation God is promising them, and that is the salvation that they need. And so the rest of chapter 11 and 12 unfold for us that we should, but at the same time the hope of waiting for the Lord and His salvation. And if you notice, entire chapters 11 and 12, it is a lengthy passage uh, about the Savior's person and works. Now, do you realize how this passage, how Isaiah's instructions in these two chapters could have seemed so irrelevant? What is the use of the future Messiah who will come at some distant point in the future when tomorrow the Assyrians are invading? What is the use of future blessings that the Messiah will bring when today we don't have food on the table? And this is what we need to realize that when we are only concerned with our present felt needs, then even the Savior becomes irrelevant and uninteresting. But rather, we need to understand that Isaiah is here showing us our true need. And our true needs are met by the Savior and this Savior, His person and His works are inseparable. Because whatever the Savior does, it all flows out of who He is. And so Isaiah tells us first, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. And these words really set at the parameters of our expectations. Because the spirit that rests upon the shoot of Jesse, the spirit that will rest upon the king who will restore God's glory and will let light shine in darkness, the spirit that rests upon him is the spirit of the Lord. That means God's fullness dwells in his person, and it is from the fullness of the Spirit's presence upon this King that His works bear fruit and accomplish. And in particular, notice what Isaiah says. He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
this future king who will come and bring salvation. Upon him has come the spirit of the Lord, and he is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and fear of the Lord. In other words, the Lord's spirit shapes the Savior's character, and the Lord's spirit shapes the conduct of the character. And so we read, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, this shoot from the stump of Jesse. He will always know God's will in every situation. For that really is the the definition of wisdom in the Bible. Wisdom in the Bible is knowing God's will in every situation. And so this shoot of Jesse dwelt upon and rest and and the Spirit has come to rest upon him. So he knows God's will in every situation. And in every decision, he honors God because the fear of the Lord is his character. And this king, this savior, he will not be swayed by temptation, but righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In other words, from head to toe, this really is the picture. From head to toe, he is covered by righteousness. His whole being from the depths of his heart his desires, his affections, his will, to everything visible about him, from his inward decisions and thoughts to outward actions, he is righteous, wise, through and through. And he acts, he speaks, according to the fear of the Lord. In other words... The savior that Israel desperately needed was not just a better politician. The savior that Israel desperately needed was not just someone who can broker peace between Israel and Assyria. The savior that they desperately needed was a king who, from the depths of his being to everything he says and does, lives by the fear of the Lord in complete conformity to God's word and by His Spirit. Why? Because only such a King, only such a Savior, can bring about the complete transformation of the world. Now, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, is a cherished and beloved passage. When, as a child, when I first heard this passage, my imagination went wild. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And what we need to understand is that Isaiah is drawing an intentional contrast from the fall in Eden. Did you notice how 
one of the chief ways, the central focus of the Messiah's character was upon his knowledge, his wisdom. And you remember that in Eden, man's twisted craving of knowledge brought violence into God's creation. God created the world and he said, good, but man sinned in his twisted craving for knowledge and it brought death and violence. But now, through this holy king's true knowledge, who is wise and righteous and who is in complete submission to God, who does everything he does and who says everything he says and who thinks everything he thinks according to the fear of God. Through this king, the nature is healed of its violence and nature is brought under the submission of a child the way that God intended his creation to be. In other words, the wolf becomes like a little puppy to the child, and the lion becomes like a little kitten to the child. And nature is restored the way that God intended his creation to be. And the intention behind these contrasts, the, 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 the associations, the connections that Isaiah is making is this, that Israel needs to hope for a Savior who not only solves their felt needs, who not only gives them a, a, a peace treaty with the Assyria, Assyrians, or who not only gives them a better government, but they need a Savior who, who comes to heal the whole creation, to deal with the root of sin and darkness, and completely transform everything that is broken, sinful, and ruined in this world. And it is only the Savior whose inward thoughts and outward actions, whose thoughts and speech and emotions are in complete alliance with God's will, in the fear of the Lord, that the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra and on the adder's den. Think about the role that the serpent played in Eden. The serpent was the instrument and the agent of death, harm, and violence. But through this Savior's work, the serpent becomes a harmless pet. And the Lord says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Adam and Eve craved after knowledge and Eden. But because their hearts were bent, their scheming for knowledge brought death and destruction. But this Savior, who will come, upon whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest to give him wisdom and knowledge and counsel and strength, this King, this Savior, he is the source of true life-giving knowledge, and through him, 
the whole creation is renewed. And that brings us to the third and the last point. That day will come. That day will come. Notice chapter 11 verse 10. Isaiah says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. And then in the next verse, verse 11, In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet to a second time to recover the remnant. Chapter 12, verse 1, You will say, In that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Chapter 12, verse 14, And you will say, In that day, give thanks to the Lord. What's Isaiah doing? Isaiah is speaking to Israel, who is undoubtedly hard-pressed. A war is a terrible thing to live through. Famine, disorder, chaos, violence, these are terrible things. Scary things to live through. Even so, even so, or maybe perhaps because of this, because these things are terrible things, the hope that can sustain them will not come cheaply. The strength that they need will not come from any other source, but to look to the finished work of God's Savior, who will come one day to deal with the very root of darkness, sin, and destruction. In other words, what Isaiah is doing is he is leading Israel to see beyond their present felt needs and see how God meets their deepest needs. And Isaiah is saying that he will do that one day, in that day, when the Savior heals the whole world. Now, to be honest, can you see how deeply unsatisfying this must have been? As long as people were thinking that what they needed to be saved from is what makes their lives uncomfortable on that day. As long as we think we need to be saved from what makes our lives hard today, and if salvation means deliverance from what is causing us pain today, then, then we will not stick around when following Christ causes us pain, and we will not stick around when godliness causes life difficult. And as long as we think what we need salvation from is the present experience of discomfort, then our prayers will be self-centered. And because they are self-centered and not about God's kingdom or according to His will, God will not hear our prayers. But we need salvation not from what makes life hard today, but we need salvation from what, from our bent, twisted, sinful heart. 
We need salvation from this world that is overcome with darkness. And that salvation is not complete until God's kingdom comes in power in Jesus Christ and to heal this broken world so that the whole creation sings God's praise. In other words, Isaiah is teaching Israel, yes, God knows your uh, daily needs. He knows your hardships and by all means. And the rest of scripture tells us these things, doesn't it? To pray for all things and ask God for every help and grace. Nevertheless, understand that your complete salvation is only accomplishment. Jesus renews the whole creation for God's glory and understand that you cannot ever be content and happy until that day when whole creation sings God's glory and praise and understand that is the part that we play in this creation and in this world. And that is why chapter 12 follows chapter 11. If you notice, chapter 11 is a description of how Jesus, who will come one day, who is endued and empowered by the Lord's Spirit, will heal the whole creation. And chapter 12 is a praise in, in anticipation and in expectation of the reality. And so Isaiah instructed the faithful ones of his day to not lose heart in the present hardship and to not give their hearts to whatever promised them relief today. Instead, to see and to know that our salvation is complete only, only when Jesus restores the whole creation for God's glory and that we can sing and rejoice in expectation of that day. How do you praise God? How do you worship and give Him glory when war is about to start knowing that many of your countrymen and perhaps even your family will not survive it? How do you give thanks to God when everything that you have held dear in your life is about to be taken away? Isaiah did so and he instructed the godly to do so in certain hope and expectation that Jesus will come and he will heal the whole creation. And indeed, Jesus did come. And you know, he was exactly as Isaiah said he would be, so full of the Lord's Spirit, and he had God's Spirit without measure. He knew exactly what to do in every situation. And everyone who trusts the Lord to lead them, Jesus can teach them, Jesus can lead us to do what is right and what is honorable to God in every situation. Everyone who is meek and weak, we can look to the Lord Jesus who had the spirit of might and receive from him strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And as we look to the Lord Jesus, we 
also find reason to rejoice. Uh, there is no denying that life is hard. But Jesus is faithful and he is true. And he will set all things right and restore all things. Would you pray about that? Yes, your Father wants you to pray about everything in your life and to come to Him for your every need. But pray also that you will never be satisfied until the whole world is renewed for God's glory. And pray that you will never lose sight of the glorious hope that Jesus one day will complete the work that he began and the whole creation will sing God's praise. And so, in view of this hope, we say, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And may it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray. Gracious God and Father, by the mouth of your servant Isaiah, you spoke to your people, hard-pressed, afraid and anxious, to, to look beyond their present trials and to persevere, to endure, and to hope for the coming King Savior who will redeem the whole creation for your glory. Father, would you help us and teach us the same truth today? Lord, we, we are hard-pressed we are weary and anxious about many things. And indeed, we recognize that, that we need your grace day by day. We need your help day by day. And we are so thankful that we can come to you all out with all our needs, big and small, and know that you care deeply for us. But help us to remember too, that we cannot ever be satisfied with the comfort and the ease of this life only, but help us to look for that glorious day when Jesus will renew the whole world for your glory and whole creation sing your praises. And we pray that we, with gladness and joy, will join the throngs, the crowds in heaven and sing your praises together. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.